0: Hey, dog people of the internet welcome to cog dog radio a podcast all about dog sports behavior and training i'm your host sarah stremming of the cognitive canine and i can't wait to share my behavior cases training revelations and general geekery with you let's get started Hey, everybody, I'm back with part two of my chat with Barb Buckmayer. Last week, we started our conversation all about positive herding training, and this is the continuation. So if you missed last week's episode, probably go check that one out first and then come back here and listen to the rest of our chat. Yeah, I mean, reading your book and not knowing much about herding, I was like, oh, this is all just smart animal training applied to something that I think there's a lot of, as you were just saying, folklore about, like (laughs) rubbing their belly (laughs) or I don't know, letting them sleep inside (laughs) or whatever else. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And it's true that there are a lot of things in dog training that fall under that category of just being really susceptible to a lot of folklore Herding is one of them. I think um, gun dog training is another. Mm-hmm. And I work primarily with agility and obedience dogs, but I have a growing clientele in the bite sport world. So, Schutzend, Mondial Ring, French Ring. And um, a lot of the same rhetoric exists in bite sports that I have heard in, in herding as well, which is essentially we need aversive control for these instinct behaviors. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that at all? Well sure I think I think it goes back to the better positive
1: trainer you are, the less aversive you have to use. And I, I use oil as overcome instinct with learned behavior and like I said that starts with this that little tug movement right in front of your dog or just moving a, a treat in front of your dog. That's the same you know that's just you're going back you're splitting down to just the start of that behavior. Can you sit? when I do this and or I'll just hold a treat out in front of my dog's nose. Can you sit? It's amazing. It's like, what? Huh? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? Hey, come on. But no, I I I look at my dog, sir, that he's in the book. Most pictures are him. And yeah, if I could go back, I would change some of the things I did. Because I did some of what I call hope training. You hope it's going to work. You hope they're going to change, but they, you know, but you, and you kind of let it go beyond where you should because you just kind of hope that's going to, you know, your other dogs all did that. Why, you know, he had trouble, which I'd never had a dog have trouble with this transitioning between a walk in and a flank and a flank and a walk in. You know, you're walking in, you tell them to come by, they could do it. He, he has trouble. If he, if he's walk you know if he's flanking you ask him to walk in he had trouble so I just brought it away from the stock and I had never had a problem so I said okay so we worked on it with a flirt pole and broke it down and and so then I started putting stops in between I didn't you know sometimes I do that on stock but it depends on the situation but I you know I started with that until he could do it fluently and then took it back to stock and then he said oh now I get it now I get it. and I, I Uh, One woman, I was watching her one uh, um, coaching call with me and she was wanting her dog. They had it on stock and she was wanting it to walk in. But so they'd stop the dog and she'd get kind of behind the sheep and then she'd step backwards hoping to draw the dog in. But the dog had been flanking, flanking, flanking and it just didn't know what they wanted. I said, you know, if you just would teach that away from stock, and, and then when you gave that cue, your dog might have some idea what you're asking them to do, you know, because it, it's just, I don't know how people, to us, it seems, we set it up and we say, well, this seems like it makes sense. They should do this. But other than Kay Lawrence, now Kay Lawrence can set something up and wow, that dog figures it out I've I've never seen anybody set things up where she she is amazing at that but for most people you set something up and it makes perfect sense to you and but then you ask the dog and you're like what you know it just doesn't (laughs) doesn't make sense
0: to them (laughs) yeah Right.
1: right and you've been you know the dog's been circling for 10 minutes and now you're saying walk in and you've been forcing it out and pushing it out and and now you're saying okay now now come in and you've just been pushing it out. And the dog's like, what do you want me to do? And then when they don't do it, they're like, you know, well, I don't know why they don't want to do it. Well, maybe because you know, what you did the last 10 minutes was opposite of this. I don't know, (laughs) but they don't see it that way, you know, because we look at things because we know what the outcome is we want.
0: Right. Right. So I want to bounce back to this acronym oil Hmm. override instinct with learning with learned behaviors is that overcome instinct with learned behaviors overcome instinct with learned behaviors so that's fascinating and i think i i love that that's such a perfect acronym for what we're talking about because you're saying get that high level fluency on these behaviors before you before you bring instinctual stuff to the picture yeah because the instinct is all what they already know what they came what they showed up knowing Right. But they came out of the womb knowing, as far as we are aware. And in order for you to have any kind of control over those things that they already know, you have to do that. You have to teach them right. this high fluency over these other behaviors, and it's clearly very possible to do. Yes, but like you said, you need that high-level skill in that in the positive reinforcement realm. And part of that is understanding reinforcers and understanding how to ratchet up your reinforcers, like starting with food and then going all the way to the flirt pole before talking about stock. And I think that would be important as well if we were talking about a dog biting a sleeve in the sport. I'm sure. So what's really interesting to me then is if we are overcoming instinct with learning, Mm What role then, and you talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but what role then does instinct play? Can I do this with a beagle or what? (laughs) Because I think that some of the argument about this type of, I mean, not that there's a lot of herding training that's like this, but I think I'm hearing, I'm just hearing in my head an old guard person who's been, you know, trialing border collies for however long, saying that you are almost disrespecting the instinct that the dog showed up with by training them with a clicker and food. So talk about what role instinct plays, because I don't think you're disrespecting them. I think you're actually being so respectful by saying to them, I know you already know how to do this, but I need to have a little bit of a say in it. And so I'm going to teach you how to let me have a say (laughs) in ways that are easier for you. Um, But talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not sure what instinct Beagle has. I mean, they've got a whole different <laughs> set of instincts. So, um, but yeah, and, and you said they come with this learned knowledge and it's not so much to me, a learned knowledge as a, a strong
0: drive. It's just like, there's, I don't think
1: there's a whole lot of thought process
0: that, Right. I don't think so either. I think you're right. I think it's, um, it's instinct. It's they show up with these, right. These innate drives. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I, I just think the way traditionally that they have dealt with it is they make it so aversive for the dog to do what they don't want the dog to do, that the dog will finally step back and decide to let that person into the into the equation but the problem is they can be so aversive that the dog says it's not worth it i'm done you know i'm out of here a lot of dogs quit because of there's so much what they find so aversive that it's not worth it the game isn't worth it and so you know they'll just leave and and um i had a dog given to me that trainer friend of mine and traditional trainer and he said um, she started walking on her outruns. That bothered him. I said, well, yeah. So I got her, and she could not see sheep. Like, I'd take her with me when I work my dogs, and she'd be sitting along the fence with maybe another dog or two, and I'd work the sheep. And as they went past, she would just avoid looking at them. She wouldn't see them. You know, she didn't want to see them, and she wouldn't see them. And because it had been to averse it you know, her experience, the sheep meant, you know, bad things were going to happen. So I think it was two months, roughly, that she just sat there, she didn't have to do anything. And one day I saw her looking at the sheep. And I thought, okay, I've got you now. And so then I just let her come out and move them around, do what she wanted, and, and not, you know, get on her. So the, to me, it's a fine line. And I would never want to take that away from my dog. Like I said, if if I'm not going to allow my dog to think and hold lines and cover and pen the sheep, you know, handle them, I really don't want to do this because it's not, you know, I, I, I could go do, you know, competition obedience and maybe agility, except I can't run and twist and turn. My knees aren't any good. So I couldn't do that. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons I think people that do agility can come to this. They have an advantage. They are used to having dogs work at top speed, but be very precise. Yeah. And so for me, one of the big things is criteria, criteria, criteria. And somebody asked me on a webinar, well, um, I got a I bought a fully trained herding dog what should I do with it? And I, I couldn't ask him any questions. I said, well, if you're a open handler, then you just you know go and you know everything goes fine. But I was guessing they were probably not a fully trained handler. And I said, well, the main thing I would say is find out what the criteria is for every herding movement so that you know when your dog is doing it to criteria because all the dogs start somewhere on a continuum and then we move them towards where we want them but of course they want they're more comfortable to one side or the other and so they're constantly moving back and that's the problem with a dog like that is they start moving back but the handler isn't knowledgeable enough to notice that oh that outrun is you know they're getting real tight on it you know but so and then pretty soon like it's really terrible. And then they might notice it and they, well, how did that happen? I mean, and so they always say that the dog works to the level of the handler, but, and I think it's because the handler isn't, I mean, there's so much going on that's a big thing. I mean, it's like a three ring circus. The sheep are moving, the dog's moving. A lot of times you're moving. So it's very difficult to keep track of everything, but if you don't know and what the dog's supposed to be doing, you know, then it makes it, I mean, they're, they're just going to, you know, kind of shift on you a little bit and slowly or quickly, depending on the dog and you've got problems. So it's, um, you know, the instinct to me, I think I've seen some amazing dogs and a lot of the trials now to me are, I, I think they should call them handler trials instead of dog trials, because mm-hmm. it sounds like you're in a, a tropical forest with all the whistling going on and you know you should be able and i know at a trial you're you know you're getting points off if you go offline but you know and i'm sure a lot of them could do it but you should be able to send a dog from your feet and just give them the cue to go fetch the stock and not say anything till the dog brings those stock back to your feet and you shouldn't have to tell them every step to make and people get into that because they're capable of it these handlers and you know they don't want to lose a point here a point there and But then they find that some dogs are very, they call them biddable. They will accept that much control. Other dogs aren't Mm -hmm. so much. And then of course you got the whole range of, you know, pushy or dogs, you know, that wanna push and sticky dogs that wanna not push and don't like to come into their stock. And I mean, there's just a whole gamut, but I guess the main thing is I love to see a good dog work and I will do nothing to take away that instinct from that dog because like I said there's no way I can read stock like they can read stock I was at a trial we had to shed off which was separate two sheep from four and Mm -hmm. I happened to have three sheep that were like woolly and one that was shorn so I knew they weren't from the same flock so I knew they didn't want to stay together and unfortunately when I shed the way it worked out I got a shorn and a woolly. So they didn't have any affinity for each other. And so then you were supposed to pen those two. And so I ran backwards towards the pen. And all I said to my dog was in, which meant bring them, bring them to me. And they split and they went just opposite directions. And the man I'd worked with for years was up watching and a friend of mine was there and he said, "Uh oh, that's problems. And the man I'd worked with said, I've never seen this dog lose stock after she shed him. I didn't say anything to her because honestly I had no clue how to tell her to deal with that. And she yeah. went and she covered one covered the other one brought him up and and one came up and came into the right in the mouth of the pen and I just waited and then finally the other one came up they got together and we got him pen. But there there's no way. I mean and in these guys that do it for a living in Scotland and that They send dogs out of sight, they might not see them for half an hour. You're not gonna tell that dog what to do. I'm not saying I'm anywhere near the handler like that. And my dogs, I've never sent them like that. I don't have a place like that. But I do think you can teach the basics and, and start building a dog and allow them that ability to make those decisions. And that I think are a lot of the Inherent reinforcement that they find from working. I, I think if you take everything away from the dog and make them into a mechanical dog, take away their um, instinct, allow them not, you know, don't allow them to use it, that I don't know how much fun that would be for the dog anymore. You know, I really, I don't. I mean, I think they probably would work. I've seen mechanical dogs, but it, it's not that much fun. And you get some tough sheep or tough cattle, you can't. You, you can't tell the dog because you're not smart enough. I mean, you can't tell them fast enough. If I had told my yeah. dog one flank, it would have been wrong because by the time I could have read it, the other one sheep would have been gone. And it's just, to me, it's almost like amazing to watch them work and, and that's kind of my inspiration and to see them figure things out. Um, but no, I think you definitely can do it. And like I said, you move that cookie or you move that, that tug And and you can control it, Um, and you're just going to build that, you know. And you're not going to have to use those aversives to make them back off enough where they say, okay, I'll let you in because, you know, otherwise you might, you know, smack the stick, you know, in front of me or whack me or yell at me or whatever it is. So uh, it's just, I would not do this if I thought I was taking the instinct and the use of the instinct and control away from my dog. I
0: just wouldn't, it wouldn't be any fun. And you also wouldn't be interested in doing it with a dog that didn't have the instinct.
1: Personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I see, you know, I don't, I would like to see some people do this with dogs that don't have instinct because I think, you know, most of it could be taught. And I think a lot of the, you know, at lower levels you could do herding and even at higher levels if you're a good enough handler because now you have to read the stock. You have to read the pool. The pool is where the sheep want to go or the animals want to go because they feel safe. Well, if that's off to the side, your dog's got to be over there. Well, the dogs read that. If your dog doesn't have that instinct, you have to read it and you have to tell the dog, okay, move here, a little farther here. And you have to read the stock. So it puts so much more pressure on you. You can still do it. Dog can herd and, and be very useful. And it's it's a double-edged sword. It makes it easier to train the dog because they're not worried about stock getting away. So, right. hey, we don't have to worry about so much about the instinct. But the problem is then, you know, you get a more mechanical dog. You have a dog with instinct. Oh, that's great. But then you've got to, you know, train so that you can control that, you know, instinct and override it at times. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of like there's no perfect dog that you can just say, oh, well, you know, they have instinct, but they turn it off and on. No, they either have it or don't. And, you know, the end result, you come out with a different type of, I call one obedience around livestock and the other I call herding. And there's nothing wrong. You have a high energy dog. You want to give it something to do. I think it'd be fun, you know, something uh, they can, you know, spend time that and, I saw this woman had a video of a Sheltie, and she was working with a flirt pole. And you know, they're a herding breed, but this dog, when she flying, she just kind of toot toot toot, you know, just kind of trotting around, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. real nice. But when she said get it, that dog went after that flirt pole rat like. I couldn't believe it. It was like, wow, that dog is into it. So, you know, it, I think most dogs have prey drive, you know, so they're, yeah. they can be into that. And, you know, so if your dog has, and there's all, it's a continuum of instinct. It's not like dogs have it or don't have it. Yeah, some have more and some have a little different. Some wanna bring stock to you. Some wanna heal. Some like to drive, some don't like to drive. So, you know, and then you have dogs that, you know have other instincts so uh you know like a beagle you know but i think you really need a dog that likes movement because this is you know it's more like agility there's a lot of movement and if you had a dog that's a low energy dog it's like yeah you know it's a lot of
0: work yeah they don't want to they no. don't want to work that hard no. um i think so i think that um the process that you outline in your book would be a worthwhile training project for a lot of people whose dogs have any kind of interest in the flirt pole or anything like that. Like if you, you don't have to even ever plan to put the dog on stock. Let's say that you have some super high energy young mixed breed that you just need to do a project with. Yes. Um, it's an active fun project. Yes. And I'm always looking for more things like that. Cause I think it's just so healthy for dogs to be involved in, active, fun projects. Um, But what I'm hearing, kind of the overarching theme um, is that you actually, just like you said in the beginning, success is defined for you if the instinct is allowed to shine. Yes. And so whether a person is adding control to the instinct with aversives or adding control to the instinct with... Uh, Positive reinforcement-based training up front. I think everybody's outcome goal. I'm not. I'm not going to say everybody, but I think most people's outcome goal is for the dog's instinct to shine. Yes. And so, what I'm hearing, kind of the overarching theme, is that, like you said at the beginning, success is defined by instinct being allowed to shine. And I do think. I mean, I know a lot of people who who participate in herding with. Maybe more traditional methods, people who are maybe more balanced. I do find that, you know, people want the instinct to shine. That's why people pay a lot of money for uh, some certain dogs with certain pedigrees. And um, so I think that for I think your training process is just you're allowing the in- instinct to shine by adding that control to the instinct pre-stock so before you put the dog on stock you're adding control to the behaviors that you will require through positive reinforcement training and then just the more traditional way to do it is to do it with aversive control near the stock yes and for you the fallout i mean number one i think i'm hearing from you that it's just more fun for you to train with positive reinforcement which i think is universal um i think it's so enjoyable for for everybody to do once they understand how to do it um but you've seen major fallout from trying to use that that aversive control and and maybe more dogs would be successful if the person's understanding of positive reinforcement-based systems was was there in the beginning.
1: Yeah, a lot of the traditional trainers don't understand how their dogs learn, and so they learn a few ways yeah. to do something, and if it doesn't work, then the dog's no good. Um, and the one thing when we were talking about the, you know, who can do this, what dogs can do this, uh, someone had asked me uh, about doing a version of my book, a different edition, and and making it shorter by taking out the engagement part, because, well, people just wanted to do something fun with their dogs. And I said, no, because then they would get the idea that if they do this and train this stuff, and then they, you know, but they can't get near stock or near agility equipment and do it, that it's gonna work that, oh, I wasn't ever gonna go to stock, but hey, I've done this training, why not? And then it blows up in their face. It's well, because that, you know, that The thing that connects them, that allows you to move in between, it hasn't been talked about. And I don't care if they don't do it, but at least they know it's there. And then if they do decide, oh, I really would like to take my dog to sock, oh, there's a link here and I need to train that link. And so I said, no, you know, I'd rather not publish the book than to publish it without that important link, because otherwise it leads people to think, oh, I've trained this and now I can go do it and then you know oh well it wasn't a good system because it doesn't work well no not that system it doesn't work you'd have to you know you have to have that ability to have your dog listen to you you know just like you say with your agility if the dog can't sit near in the presence of agility equipment
0: guess what you know you've got problems you do and I I'm almost a little bit appalled because I feel like that's the important part <laughs> like if you don't have that part I'm not sure what you do have and so um, I think it's, it's so, so important. I think everybody would actually benefit from reading that initial part of the book and doing things like that with their dog, whether they ever plan to do herding or not.
1: Yes, yes. A woman, uh, This one woman I was working with, she was showing me, she does agility with her dog and her dog has trouble with start lines and tro- trouble with the table, you know, staying on the table. And then she showed me just this initial video of her with stock and she brought the dog in and took it off leash and the dog stayed there. And then she tried to go to the stock and the the dog started to flank and she stopped the dog and the dog stayed there. And then she, she went farther, you know, she was almost to the stock and the dog moved again and she stopped the dog and the dog stayed there. And I said to her, you know, it you're reinforcing that by telling your dog to stop again. I said, you need to bring your dog back to where initially you put them in a stop, you just know, a down or whatever, and, and not allow that. Or pretty soon you're gonna have the same problem you had with agility. And I said, and the traditional trainer that you're working with is so amazed that your dog can stop You ask them to go around stock, that they're never gonna tell you that and I said, you know, another great thing would be to come early and work your dog outside of this, you know, the pen and get your dog listening. And then if someone else takes a lesson and the sheep start to move, you know, can your dog listen? And or go, you know, near your house, find some stock across a fence and have your dog on leash or long line. So they're never going to go in that fence, but they can mm. see, they can smell. And, you know, but I said that traditional trainer's like, Woohoo, this this dog can stop. You know, they're just nobody <laughs> has that kind of control. And so they're happy, but they don't see that, you know, you're kind of already heading down a slippery slope. Because, you know, if you ask your dog to do something and they break, you know, that's you don't want to set that as a precedence, you know, that you're gonna accept that all the time, or you're gonna be, you know, having problems down the road. And and I can see how that and she said, Well, when I go to agility. Um, you know, I feel like I'm wasting their time. If I'm not doing something, I said, well, you know, you've got to do what's right for your dog. It's just that same thing. You can't, you know, you have to figure out how to make this work for you and your dog. And I know you're paying people and I understand. And yeah, I think people are much better than they used to be at standing up for their dog and realizing what needs to be done and saying, okay, I'll just, you know, this is what I need to do. And, but, you know, criteria is so, so important. And If you can get it in your mind, in my book, I try and say, before you start training, if you can give your criteria in one sentence, so you know what you're looking for, because if you don't know that, if you can't do that, what are you going to reinforce? What are you going to mark? I mean, if if you can't, if you don't know what you want your dog to do, how does your dog know what you want him to do?
0: I absolutely, right? No matter what your training project is, I think it's so important that you are really clear in your mind about what it should look like. And then you're going to see it as you were kind of mentioning, you're going to see them start down that slippery slope when you wouldn't necessarily see that. If you, if you aren't crystal clear about what you're looking for, you won't see it. And I think that that's, um, it's a huge problem across dog sports, honestly, that I think um, separates really, really successful high-level trainers from kind of everybody else is that a really successful high-level trainer is going to notice yeah. the dog's criteria slipping much sooner yes, and going to intervene and do something about it much sooner. Yeah. But it's really Not difficult with, uh, with
1: herding because... I call it a three ring circus. You know, like I said, so much is moving. And that's why I really encourage people to video far enough back that they can see the sheep and see the dog, because sometimes you'll think, well, why did that happen? Why did my dog do that? And then you'll go back and you can watch the sheep and say, oh, obviously
0: that's why, you know, but right where your agility run and you're like, why did my dog take that off course jump? And then you watch the video and you're like, because I clearly sent my dog over that off course jump.
1: Exactly. You know, and, and there's, you know, and plus then you can even slow it down into slow motion. And, you know, it, it's being, doing high level agility, doing herding are, they're long journeys. They're not like something Oh, I'm going to go do agility and I'm going to be up top of sport, you know, in two weeks. No, it's a journey. And, but you can get frustrated. And so if you can look back and see where you've been, you know, how far you've come uh, to me, that's always, you know, it's just, it helps. I mean, it's easy to get frustrated and, you know, we all do. I mean, I, I just, but, you know, if you have video, a lot of times you can start seeing, well maybe I could try this or that. And when I work with people, I ask them, well they here I have this problem. Well, okay, what do you see? What do you think you should do? And huh, honestly, most time they know they if they would you know they they really can look at it and they can and figure it out. And so I like to do that because it, once they start realizing that, then they can look at their own videos. They don't need me. And I tell people, if you can't find a positive hurting trainer, find any good positive trainer. They can look at this. It's just dog training. It's not rocket scientist. I'm not doing something, you know, totally foreign and alien. It's, you know, it's hopefully good dog training. And you could look at something I'm doing. And if someone said, well, you know, the dog's supposed to do this, but they're doing that. And you could say, well, I don't know, but how about this?
0: And probably right. 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 And I think that's really important that you just said that this isn't this special alien thing, like all of the rules of learning always apply. Yep. And I think when it comes to in- instinct sports um, or any instinct based activity, I think a lot of people do think that it's different than anything else that you might be training. And I think the only thing that might be different is that you do, you will eventually transfer that reinforcer to something that's less controllable for you but that just means that the training needs to be present up front before, before you get there.
1: Yes. Yes. It's, it's, you know, you just got, and, and the other thing is, you know, any stock you work is, is so, you know, it's so interesting because you can send your dog in a little area and, you know, maybe 10 times they, they come up and they're you know, the pool's to the left. And so they're over on the left. And one time you send them and they go over and they're coming on the right. And you're like, what this, (laughs) you know, and then but the sheep are coming straight to you. So obviously they've read something, you know, and and so they're right. And, And that's the only way you really can tell if your dog is right is by how the stock responds to your dog. And so that's why it can be, you know, kind of difficult. But this Every time the dog and the stock interact they they learn from each other. I mean their relationship changes just a little bit just like when we work with someone. I mean you know every little interaction changes a little thing and you know the it might become cloudy or it might get windy or the wind changes direction or you know somebody does something in the neighbor you know takes a four-wheeler out or something things that we can't and that's the other thing so many times I think, you know, dogs can smell things and hear things that we can't. And we're like, I have no idea why my dog did that. They are just, what are they doing? And it's like, you know, they can hear and smell things. We can't, and probably see things we can't. And yet, you know, we look at it through our lens and we don't understand. Well, that's, you know, that's the way it is. But you have to realize that they are, have these abilities that you don't. And like I said, if you see your dog, that's how you tell if, if your dog's over there and the sheep are coming straight to you, your dog's right. If your dog's over there and the sheep are going across a way, you know, way you don't want them to go, then your dog's wrong. So, you know, it's all the interaction and that's what's so difficult because not only do you have to read the stock and read your dog, you have to anticipate what the stock's going to do and you're going to have anticipate how long it takes your dog to react. So everything you're doing is before... The actual need to do it because if you wait until the stock turns then by the time you tell your dog it's too late because they have to have some time to react so i can't tell you how many times i was told you're late you're late you're late until i realized you have to anticipate when my dog gets about here the stock are probably going to turn their heads and my dog needs to be told three steps before that because they have to have time to stop so it's really um you know it's different than agility because agility, you know the weave poles never move. Once they're there, they never move, and the tire swing doesn't. If you use it, it doesn't swing, which I think would really be amazing. I'd love to see that happen. But <laughs> how, that would blow some dogs' minds. But you know at least if you're having trouble with your entrance to the weave poles, you can set it up and you can work it. You know from now till forever, and you can move them around. with a stock every time you interact it's you cannot set something up exactly the same it's just not possible and so that adds another level of you know problem and and intrigue into it and you know learning how to read stock and there's so much to it you know and i i love to watch a good agility dog run but to me it doesn't compare to seeing good herding dog I mean, it it looks so easy. I mean, they make it look effortless, but you get out there and try it and, you know, get out with a dog and you start to understand that these people that do it, you know, do it way better than I do it are amazing. And, but, you know, my dogs are amazing in their own way. And somebody said one time, you know, you should be a little more glitzy with your YouTube videos and this and that. If I were glitzy, it would come off as, as, you know, silly looking. I said, if I, if you want glitzy, watch my dogs work. I think, you know, there they you shine, know. they shine, and and that's as glitzy as I can be. And to see a dog, you know, handle stock, and it's a, a step beyond. And that's to me the, the highest and best thing I can do. And and that's the thing I want to help dogs. I want dogs to have good lives, and it's going to take a while. You know, but like Sally, she she did you know really well. She was successful. There's some other people coming up and it's gonna come. It's just you know, you get these trainers that this is what they know. Positive herding is what they know. For me, it was like, you know, to cross over, it was like so difficult. So Mm -hmm. I know there's gonna be people that are gonna produce dogs in the future, herding dogs that are even more brilliant than the ones we've seen, even though I'm never going to take anything away from those dogs from, you know, Scotland and the borders there. I mean, dogs that work for a living, it's hard to beat a dog like that. I mean, but you know, most people don't start and don't have that kind of background. And people want to do it. And, you know, so why not? Why, you know, let's let them, yeah, there's so many border collies out there and other herding breeds that want to do it and I think people get frustrated, you know, the dog doesn't have a job, and maybe they're, you know, have bad knees, they can't do agility, or that's not their thing, you know, and, you know, it's just, it's another avenue, it's a place to start, and, you know, I don't think it's going to be, you know, my books are a starting point, and I hope people will start with them and improve on them, and, you know, the training will get better and better over time, but, I just learned so much I hated to not get that out there so people didn't have to keep reinventing the wheel you know that people would go and say oh I went to this clinic and I saw stuff and so I came home and I don't want to train that way so I was thinking how could I do this it's like hey here's how you can start you know and you're going to have to adapt it to your dog but hey you can get started and you know as Bob Bailey always said, when you get to, you know, something trained, then you should be saying, well, how could I do it better and quicker next time? Well,
0: <laughs> you know? absolutely, absolutely.
1: So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a journey for everybody. And but I think that there are a lot of people are into positive training much more than used to be. And um, there's no point in, you know, starting from ground zero
0: again. Let's let's, you know,
1: get a few steps up and see where we can go from there.
0: I think so. And I think putting your material that you're putting out is really important to that movement. And I think you're right. It will continue to grow. It'll continue to expand. People are, people are more and more interested in really good, solid dog training rather than just kind of faking it till they make it. I mean, they really are. So Barb, um, let's to wrap up here. Where can people find you if they want to know more about what you're doing in your programs?
1: Okay. Um, If they go to positiveherdingdog.com, that is a page where they can either buy the book or sign up. They can also go to uh, my Facebook group, Positive Herding Dog on Facebook. And my YouTube group or YouTube channel is Positive Herding Dog. I've tried to stay pretty consistent uh, so they can find me there. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So we've tried to do that, and uh, the book's available at uh, Amazon, Clean Run, Dog Wise, and through almost any other, you know, Barnes and Noble, almost any any place else. And the the second book, One O Two, which will take us past sheep in a or animals in a um, small pen to the finish product loose animals and doing some trialing and doing some farm work and doing more talking on stockmanship uh, should be out next summer so people can be on the lookout for that you know if, if you just google positive herding dog you're going to find me somewhere and like I said there'll be a link below we can put a couple links for people uh, but um, yeah, my group's a good place to find me on Facebook if you're on Facebook and if you're in the uh, Fenzi group The alumni group were in there, you know, trying to get the word out and um, had a great response, really been pleased. Um, You know, when you do something like this, you don't know how people are gonna react, but um, I've had a lot of people interested and and I'm starting to get videos of people um, talking about, oh, my dog, Um, it was, I think a German Shepherd and now she isn't screaming and she's so happy and, she had a beautiful stop on the dog it's like whoa and so it's like and one that was doing flanking around uh, cones and you know the dogs are just so happy and the people are having fun it's like you know though it's just little steps and if you can just take it that way and and keep the end in mind and have fun and be safe you know so there's a lot going on but I think that people will have a good time and like you said you can do stuff with your dog your high energy dog if it's a border collie or a lab that's a working lab and it's driving you crazy because it wants to do something and you know it's it's just something else that people can do but i think what i want is to set it up so that if they want to go farther, they can go as far as they want it's not like you're going to do this and Oh, your dog never could really do herding. It's just something fun to do. No, if if you follow along and you know keep working at it, you can do herding. You can you know trial with your dog and and it, then it then it becomes up to you and and how far you know you can go. But it's it's not like I'm not trying to put out something that's a dead end and that you know yeah it's fun but you know that's it. No, it's it's really the beginning and. And your dog will love it. They will absolutely love it.
0: I can vouch for that. I think it's a really, really fun training program. Barb, thank you so much for all of your time. And we'll be sure to link all of that for everybody so that everybody can find you. And as you all just heard Barb say, she wants to see the videos of the dogs doing the thing and having a good time. So if you're going to do this training, go join that Facebook community and really share so that everybody can have more access to herding for their herding dogs. So thanks so much, Barb.
1: Well, thank you, it's been great. And thank you for helping me spread the herd.
0: <laughs> thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com.